This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You done with your Oreo? Yeah. <laughs> done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> you really know what happened. The brother did. The brother. That's what I thought, too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm mystery thingy, 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 thingy. Hello? Ahem. <clears throat> Hello. It's as if we just met. <laughs> Hi. Greetings. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. <laughs> and you don't say that to someone you to first you, meet. Sir. You don't? No, I've never actually said that to someone. Well, greetings, gre- greetings and salutations. and salutations. Like, ser- like, have you ever seriously said to someone greetings and salutations? No. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> I was making a joke. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to... Greetings and salutations. I'm very giggly. It's a mystery murdery thingy. It's. Have you ever had one of those rehearsals where you just like get the giggles? Yeah. I had that one time in college, and the it was like for a pretty serious show, I think, and the director like got really mad, mad at us. We <laughs> <laughs> like could not stop giggling. It was funny. I liked it. <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> It was funny. It was, I liked it. It was fun. Anyway. Um, so the, the podcast where we talk about mysteries. And murderies. And thingies. This is mystery murdery thingy. Makes Why sen- am I talking make, like this? Makes sense. This is my podcasting voice. This is my podcasting voice. We've been doing this for almost a year, so I guess we, we've developed our podcasting voice a I little don't, bit. I feel like my podcasting voice is very conversational. Yeah. Because I feel like... I don't know. I feel like we're just like talking to each other, but we're like aware right. of this other weird presence. Right. That's like not there. But that was like the idea, right? We were, we just like do the thing where we talk to each other. Yeah. And and then record it, and then it's a thing. And yay! <laughs> That's how you make a podcast. Team mystery. <laughs> Woo. Okay, so. Are we going to do more than one episode of this, or are we just going to do this one? Okay, so 
we're doing political mysteries. Right. That was like the idea. That was the idea. And then we should we do? I don't know. I feel like this was hard. We we like I definitely have we another like one so in my back pocket. I know. I have another one in my back pocket though. It's really interesting. I mean, there's like I'm sure there are more, but we like tried to think of more and we we're like, "Oh, wait, what? Are there what, but what else?" Anyway, if if anyone It was either that you know, or it was like a good one, too send us an big. Like I was gonna I was gonna do JFK. But there's just so much going on with it. Yeah, I agree. Mine's kind of a big one, too, but I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to go first. Um, So there wasn't, like, as much to this as I thought there was, or at least not in the same way. But it's always kind of interesting when it, like, it kind of takes you in a different direction that you didn't, like, kind of think that it would. So anyway. Yes, I like that, too. Yeah. So we'll decide whether we're doing another episode. We, we, We may or we may not. Anyway, I'm doing Area 51. And who are you? I'm Mario. I'm the one who's doing Area 51 this episode. I'm Princess Peach. <laughs> Not Luigi? Nope, I'm Princess Peach. Great. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Anyway, We're doing this. Yes. So okay. are there, does the government know about aliens or what? So Area 51, what is it you might say? Helpfully, there's a website that tells you every fucking thing about Area 51. Yeah, you said you got some good, <laughs> some good information. So I got most of my information from this website. I would encourage you to go look at it. There's l- probably literally like a hundred more pages I could have looked at uh, on this fucking website. It's called dreamlandresort.com. Dreamlandresort.com. Um, and it, Wow, how much for like five nights? Right? <laughs> they have a travel guide, actually. They, like, tell you how to go to... If you want to go to Area 51, not into it. Don't don't go into it. I, <laughs> I want to make gonna, that very I clear. I say. I was like... Very, uh... very clear. If you do... It, and they tell you exactly what's going to happen if you do. So, there's... Are you going to get into that? Because that's extremely interesting. Sure, I can get into it right now. So, the, there's, there's like, the border of, of like, the, the base, right? Yeah. And it's marked off. Um, at this point, by like some barbed wire extending like a, a several hundred feet, like on the either either side of the couple of roads that go into area f- the onto the site, right? The the camp, uh, the ranch. What it, people call it a billion different things, uh, apart from Area Fifty One. So anyway, um, there are signs telling you don't go in here. This this is a government facility. You were not allowed in here. It used to say, or we may use lethal force against you. Oh, oh it doesn't say it that. It doesn't anymore. say that anymore. But it, <laughs> it did at one for a long time. It said, or we may use. No one ever has. No one's ever been shot or anything for going on this to the site. And many people have. Um, what happens wait. is oh, if we're going on the site, okay. right, I was right, like, right. wait. <laughs> now you have to understand the point at which you're passing this barrier is still. 15 miles away from anything that's interesting, right? This is far away from the actual base and the hangar. Do they do that on purpose? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This whole thing, and I'll talk about that, was was very strategically planned out to make it as difficult as possible to see what's going on. And therefore, of course, everyone wants to know what the fuck is going on in there, right? That makes it so strange. So this is... This is the mystery, right? Um, the Area 51, it, it's, it's funny. It, it is a mystery, but it's not, too. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see. But anyway, 
if you do cross that barrier, there are men, uh, I'm assuming most of them are men, perhaps a lot of them are women, I have no idea, uh, in camo, uh, who stop you. They come in their, their white trucks, apparently with very tinted uh, windows and, and, uh, and um, uh, w- windshield. What are you guys doing here? We just want to see what's happening. Exactly. Uh, they, they question you. What are you guys doing? Um, they actually detain you and they call the sheriff. And you get fined, I forget how, it's a lot of money, like over $1,000. <laughs> and you, you could spend some time in jail, too. Most people don't. They usually just get the fine, but you could. Um, and you, yeah. just, you just get questioned for, like, hours, you know, like, what are you doing? Why are you here? All that kind of stuff. So it, How many, okay, how many times do you think they, like, question people and it's people just fucking around? Like <laughs> Almost all of them, I would imagine. I would, 99%, I would think. And some of them are, it's, it's like this. That would be us. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was, like, this particular guy who was, like, hiking, I think, at night, um, who, like, wandered onto the base, you know, stuff like that. Because for a lot of the barrier, there's no, like, demarcation necessarily, right? It's along these roads that um, they mainly have these. But, you know, you're out in the desert, you know, because this is Nevada, right? If that wasn't clear, if you don't know where Area 51 is. I actually didn't. It's it's in Nevada. Uh, I knew uh, it was out in the desert, but I didn't know where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's about 80 miles away from Las Vegas, um, very near this town called Rachel, Nevada, which has, like, 58 occupants or something. Oh, wow. So it's out in the middle of nowhere, basically, in in the desert, which, again, is very intentional. So this website, Dreamline Resort, their FAQ, their Frequently Asked Questions section, um, has the question, what is Area 51? So I thought I'd start out with, with their explanation of what is Area 51. So according to dreamlandresort.com, Area 51 is a top-secret military test and development facility owned and operated by the U.S. Air Force. It is located within the Nevada Test and Training Range, NTTR, 85 miles north of Las Vegas. It is operated as Detachment 3 of Air Force Flight uh, Test Center, headquartered at Edwards Air Force Base in California. Area 51, this is still part of their description, was founded in 1955 to test the newly developed U-2 spy plane. So that's that's really its origin. Since then, the base was constantly expanded and used for various black project developments, including the A-12 Blackbird, the F-117 Stealth Fighter, and the B-2 Stealth Bomber. All of those are, are planes, stealth planes. More recent projects include research on stealth technology, various unmanned reconnaissance and combat aircraft known as UAVs and UCAVs, and possibly a rumored high-speed altitude, uh, high-altitude platform known as Aurora, uh, close quote. So that's basically what is Area 51. And and that's kind of the thing, is that we, we kind of know what Area 51 is. We just don't really know what's going on there at any given time. Yeah. Right? But, but basically... What intrigues me, though, is this the barrier. Right, and that's the thing I think that's always... That's made it such an object of fascination for people is that, like, it's this place where the government says, like, no one is able to go. And they're very serious about it. Like, even within the base, uh, most people don't know what's going on in certain sections of the base. Oh, wow. Um, you know, there, there are people who are flown in on these sort of semi-secret flights every day, like a thousand people um, from Las Vegas or wherever the surrounding community. So, yeah, it's it's, like, very very um, secretive. The whole atmosphere of it is very secretive. So obviously people, again, 
are very transfixed by it and, and want to know. Imaginations you know, run wild. Exactly. Especially when it's the government telling you you're not supposed to know something. Everybody's like, well, what, 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 are they keep, what are they keeping in there? You know, wh- why are they keeping it from us? You know, the people. The people. We are the government. We, <laughs> the people. Uh, we have a right to know. Um, and we actually do know, you know, some fair amount at this point about what what happened at Area what's happened at Area Fifty One. So um, some, you know, people believe that the research, of, of course, also includes, you know, alien technology. It does. That's that's a it the does. Other, that's the main thing people know about Area Fifty One. Right? It's true. Um, <laughs> however, it should be stressed that there is no credible evidence to support these claims. Exactly. <laughs> That that's just a fact. There, there's never been any evidence that's ever come out, and we'll we'll address where where this kind of came from. But according to the amateur researchers, and this there's one guy on there who's basically dedicated his life to this over the past thirty years. Oh wow! Um, at the Dreamland Resort, uh, you know, website, Area Fifty One is a secret government facility, and it's mainly dedicated to experimental flight testing. So again, don't try to go there. Just want to. <clears throat> highlight that um they will you know stop you with the camo and the everything and road trip road you to, trip you know go away and and if you come up to the barrier they'll they'll like harass you and stuff too you know they'll <laughs> like what are you doing what are you what are you doing here you know you don't need to be around here nothing to see here <laughs> nothing to see <laughs> you know, that sort of thing Nothing to see. I'm, I'm sure that's what the that's what they say. That's what you say when there is something to see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you people need to go home. Nothing to see here. <laughs> but um, you can, of course, see to the base from certain areas around it. So the thing you have to understand is that Area 51 exists um, on this ancient dry lake bed called, oh, not, v- called not, Groom Lake. Not ancient Native American burial ground perhaps <laughs> although i doubt it because the ground is very very hard so i'm probably not burying anything in it um and that's one of the reasons why they picked it actually um because it's like this very hard you know ground very flat um you know so it's good for for flights you know for for creating um, oh, okay, airships, okay, okay. right um, I was like, why? So put things there? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yes, it requires heavy loads. Um, it's also surrounded by mountains. So, okay. Right. All right. So this... You got to get there. Yes. It, it, it creates a sort of natural barrier, but it also obviously presents a number of locations from which one can look down. Onto the site. And over the years, the number of those high vantage points from which one can look down into the base have uh, been taken over by the government. You know, sort of, you know, one by one. The government has said, like, nope, this is ours now. Nope, this is ours now. Nope. What? Yeah. Um, And this has happened with, with basically all the land surrounding this dry lake bed over the years. Didn't start out that way. At, at first, people could camp on the northern part of the, uh, you know, the Area 51 area or whatever, whichever Area 52 or whatever is right next to it or something. Um, not anymore. Now no one can go anywhere near this place, including up into the air, all the way up. Oh, is there a, a no-fly zone or something? There is, and I'll, I'll get into that in, in specificity. Um but there is still one vantage point from which you can see down into the base. It's about 25 miles away. Um, but you can take pictures. You know, they they 
people periodically do this. Again, they have these panoramae, you know, on the Dreamland Resort website where you can look. The most recent one, I think, is from 2013 or 2015. I, I forget. Um, an anonymous contributor went and, and took the pictures um, that they then put into the – made into the panorama. Um but yeah, you you know, and you can see there, there's new construction and, and all that kind of stuff. So there are people kind of keeping an eye on what's going on at a high level from there. And of course, there's satellite photography, but not a lot of it. So the site, though, just to get into a little bit of the history of it, was first selected and developed by the CIA. And it was owned by the CIA for about the first 25 years of its existence. So this is the mid-1950s. Right, so this is like 1955. We're in, you know, the the heat of the Cold War, right? The heat of the Cold War. That was not intentional. <laughs> um, th- this was sort of yes, but, um, no pun intended. Um, but you know, we 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 needed a place to develop the kind of aircraft that we would need to counter the Russians, right? That was the idea of the, of, of why the CIA was was doing this. Uh, was looking for this kind of site. And the area around the ancient dry lake bed of Groom Lake, Groom Lake was used because of its hardness, but not only that, as we talked about earlier, but also its adjacency to a government weapons testing area, including oh. for nuclear testing, oh. which was kind of a, a controversy at the time, as you can imagine. I mean, not many people knew about this when they were setting it up, but between, like, the president and the, the people at the CIA and so forth, the president thought, well, why do we... Are we going to put it next to where we're blowing up nuclear bombs? Like, that doesn't seem yeah. safe. But they did, you know, kind of say also, well, no one's going to come here. You know, what 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 more isolated, you know, area can you have than where people know you're going to set off nuclear bombs right next to it? Not going to be a lot of people snooping around. Which, of course, was the case until we signed the nuclear test ban treaty. Yeah, I was going to say, what the hell? In the 80s or something. Whenever that was, I don't remember. Um, but anyway, and, and also actually as a side note to that, this site is directly downwind in a lot of circumstances of the nuclear test site. Oh so there was a, actually a good amount of nuclear ex- exposure, including a time when one of these blew out and, the, and they had um, evacuated everyone from the site at this point. But it blew out a bunch of windows and doors <gasps> in, you know. In, at, at the Area 51 site. So, yeah, it's it's kind of strange that it's, like, right next to this nuclear testing site for a lot of its history, but that was also kind of part of the idea. Um, it was also, as we talked about earlier, surrounded by mountains. So it was a pretty advantageous site, you know, kind of geographically as well. So it kind of all just, it made sense in terms of where they wanted to do this thing. So, yes, the early development of the site, the looking for it, all that was kept very secret. Um, but the opening of the site itself was not at all secret. Right. So that's okay. kind of another interesting part about it. The, the, the government fully acknowledges that this site exists and all of that stuff, just not exactly what's going on there, of course. But the CIA and the Air Force notified various local media about the opening of, of Area 51. They didn't call it Area 51. Um, but, uh, you know, they told a couple of TV stations, a bunch of newspapers, like, you know, it, it was a publicized thing. Um, and at one point, though, they did, 
you, you know, because again, they, they weren't kind of like saying what they were doing there in terms of the test flight. They were covering that part of it up very specifically. Like they were testing the U-2 spy plane at that point, right? Okay. Which was this plane that, you know, could fly very high, uh, much higher than any plane could fly at that point, like twice as high as most commercial jets would have gone at that point. See, do do you think like 50 years from now we'll like know what's happening there right now? Probably, yeah. And I'll kind of get to that towards the end, but there are certain laws in terms of what's declassified after a certain amount of time that, yes, makes that the case. And that's why now we know what was going on there in the mid-50s. Like, we know um, because they've declassified these reports. So we know they were... Um, testing the U-2 spy plane, we know that at one point they actually tried to cover up a crash because, of course, there were many crashes over the years because they're testing new planes. Like, you know, accidents happen, like, frequently. Um, But at one point early on, they tried to cover up a crash by saying that the flight had been for high-altitude weather observations. So that's that's what they said the U-2 spy plane was was for. It was not... At all. Oh, I was being no. half sarcastic. No, no. I'm excited was, to learn. It was to it was to spy on the Russians or and other people, I'm assuming, but mainly the Russians. And there was actually a, uh, this one incident in which uh, a U-2 plane crashed inside of Russia. And they, oh. they said that it was because of this, like, they were doing this high-altitude weather testing. That was not true. But, you know, sometimes deception can be well, you appropriate. Know, ha-ha, you know, haha, just uh, testing the weather over here. Uh, I was just saying, like, how cold is it up there? You yeah. Know? I was just wondering. Um, also, I built this million-dollar plane to oh, find out. Pff, many more than a million, yes, even at that point. Um, so there was also some deception in terms of what they called the ranch at the beginning. But th- this was to deceive the, the people. The ranch? And there's a reason it's called the ranch. <laughs> it's called the ranch. The, so they they this was specifically and intentionally to try to trick people into going to work there by calling it Paradise Ranch. Oh my god! It is not. Oh, I've heard <laughs> at of that. All a paradise. It is a fucking desert. It is not an attractive piece of land in any respect. It is a dry lake bed. <laughs> Aw, that's disappointing. Yeah. But the, this guy, who was, like, helping to set it up at the CIA, he was like, yeah, we should call it Paradise Ranch, you know, trick people, get them to work there. <laughs> it's, like, in a letter or some shit. I don't remember. <laughs> anyway. So they were, like, not really discreet about it at all. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so this is why, you know, even up to this day, people still call it the ranch. Among many, many other names. And then the reason it's called Area 51, by the way, is because that's the designation they gave it when they were mapping out this area, when they were setting up the the the, the, uh, the weapon testing facilities, the nuclear testing, and the they tested other weapons out there too, you know, heavy um, armaments and, and things, right? Bombs. And they divided uh, all these different areas, right, in this in and this, this is uh, area section. 51. And this was Area 51 on some map that's Are made. any of them... As heavily guarded? No. No, th- this is definitely the, m- probably one of the most heavily guarded places in the whole United States. Um, I mean, there, there are other testing facilities, and obviously a nuclear testing facility is going to be very secretive and heavily guarded, but nothing like Area 51, you know. Mysterious. So, or Watertown. They also call it Watertown because I think the 
CIA director or the guy from the Air Force. I don't remember. Some high-ranking guy. His his hometown was Watertown. Um, so they were just like, oh, we'll call it that too. They called it a bunch of different places, uh, different things. So, again, they were doing the secret development of the U-2 spy plane. That was kind of through the mid-50s. And there were also, like we talked about, a surprising number, a lot, a good number of nuclear t- bomb tests That's that were done scary. near the site, both above ground so and below ground. So people get, like, radiation poisoning and shit? No, not that I read about radiation poisoning per se, but, but you like have to imagine to... that people who worked there, at least during that time, m- must have had some ill effects. There must have been some higher incidence of cancers yeah. because of it. I mean, they, they were getting exposed to much higher levels of background radiation than the normal person um, would, you know, for sure. Uh, especially, you know, d- directly surrounding when these tests occurred. And some of them were, qu- were quite large uh, nuclear bombs that were set off, like over 100 kilotons. So there were also a number of hangars and runways that were added to the site in the 60s, you know, just kind of like starting to really develop it, develop it into a, a, a testing facility. And they also shored up the security at the site after being actually criticized by the then CIA director when he was on an official visit there. So he, he basically, he went to visit the site, you know, it's part of the CIA, and he said, like, hey, you've got people camping over there, you know, like, no one's guarding this, like, people can see us from that mountain, like, yeah. what are you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and this is when that culture of secrecy and, like, the hardening of the secrecy around Area 51, like, really ramped up was, like, in the 60s. So, eventually, they created, you know, guardhouses. They obtained all the property around uh, Groom Lake uh, for miles. They eventually increased the no-fly zone around the site to extend to all altitudes in a 22 by 20 nautical mile box. Yeah. So uh, basically, you know, 22 miles this way, 20 miles this way, and okay. it extends forever up and up into the atmosphere. Um, no one can fly above this site. Unless, of course, you're doing the test flights or you're flying into it, whatever, um, for some legitimate reason. So... Getting into the early 70s, they started to test unmanned vehicles. And and this, I think, is really kind of the start of the, the modern era at Area 51 because this time kind of testing, you know, goes right on into today, you know, with our, right, our UAVs right. and U, and CU, UCAVs, as we talked about earlier, you know, where... Um, is that utility automated vehicle? Uh, it's an unmanned um, aerial vehicle and an oh. un- unmanned combat area vehicle. So, you know, obviously you've heard we wow, have I wasn't a lot of... close. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. We, we have a lot of so-called drones, you know, above certain areas right, of Pakistan, okay. Afghanistan, dropping bombs on people, sometimes killing civilians because they don't do it correctly. They're generally pretty good about that kind of thing, but, you know, it does happen. Those kind of planes would have been perhaps tested at a place like Area 51 or Nellis Air Force Base or any number of other places, right? But the most secretive, the most highly developed are at Area 51. That's what it seems like. They reserve this testing facility for the absolute cutting edge 
in terms of what the American government has created. Wow. Which, again, is – and we'll get to it is, – is part of why this whole UFO thing is surrounded oh, as well. Oh, that, like, freaks me out. I want to know what's happening. Right. Embrace the I bet mystery. there's some, like, cool shit going on. Oh, I bet. No, I was thinking about that when I was reading about the, some, some of the test pilots. Yeah. How fucking cool would it be to be a test pilot in the Air Force or the CIA where you're like, yeah, there's, like, ten people in the world that know about this thing, you know, including, like, the president and the secretary of defense and, like – you get to play with it. Like, go t- try it out. <laughs> tell, tell us how it works. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Um, hey, um, if you know anybody, <laughs> if you know anybody, email right. us right now. <laughs> yes. Okay, so in April of 1979, the CIA transferred control of Area 51 to the Air Force. So from that point on up until today, it's technically run by the Air Force. It's an, it's an Air Force uh, base, uh, I suppose. This uh, change of ownership was also accompanied by a large number of improvements, additions to the site uh, through the early 1980s. Although it seems like really production at the site has been going on fairly continuously like since the 60s up until today. And there's actually a... Um, a uh, a place on the on the site where they uh, make their own um, what what do you call it? Um, very common word. The things that the the roads are made out of asphalt and concrete. Tar concrete. Oh. They have their own concrete factory <laughs> on the site. That's what I was trying to say. Okay, I can talk good. So <laughs> I talk good. I talk good sometimes. So. Just to give you an idea of, like, how how much, you know, is going on there. But I guess also so they don't have to have people truck it in and everything, right? Sorry, am I going on for a long time? Okay. Mm -mm. No, you're fine. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, Okay. So also from the Dreamland Resort website, um, there's just, like, this little snippet as to, you know, tell you a little bit about, like, how secretive this was. And I think even getting more so as we're getting, like, into the 90s. So, quote, on the 29th of September, 1995, President Bill Clinton signed Presidential Determination Number 95-45. It stated in part, quote, I find that it is in the paramount interest of the United States to exempt the United States Air Force operating location near Groom Lake, Nevada, from any applicable requirement for the disclosure to unauthorized persons of classified information concerning that operating location. Close quote. That it's what? So basically what that's saying is that... (laughs) English? Things that happen here, no one needs to know about unless we say they need to know about them, no matter what. Mm. So rules that would normally, you know, govern disclosure, that would normally govern what is classified and declassified. It doesn't. Doesn't apply here. Oh, wow. You know, if the president says something that happens or is developed at Area 51 is classified forever, you know, compartmented, five people know about it, that's the way it is. And no one can say anything about it. According to this presidential, you know, declaration by Bill Clinton. Perhaps that's legal, perhaps it's not. But I don't think anyone's going to question it. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to <know>? say. <laughs> and I, I think we all kind of understand understand why, right? I mean, if we had told the Russians about the U-2 spy plane in 1956, that would have materially hurt the interests of the United States. Just like 
if whatever's going on there right now were exposed, probably would hurt us too. So, you know, as as patriotic Americans, I suppose we can all understand why it's so secret. But again, you just kind of want to know, right? Yeah. Lots of more construction, improvements all the way up until today. They're still adding new buildings, all that sort of stuff. For what? Exactly. <laughs> we don't know. Huge hangars, enormous hangars. No one knows why. What the, what's in there. So all of this, of course, unfortunately, does not include any aliens. Sorry, Ugh, I apologize. I know we <laughs> thought Area 51, aliens, but turns out not so much. Um, I disagree. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Uh, but, you know, lots of testing of new spy planes, stealth planes designed to defy radar, other types of detection methods of, you know, hostile or whomever uh, nations on whom we want to spy, uh, which we do a lot, as, <laughs> as do many countries. But, you know, let's not kid ourselves. We do it, too. So you may be asking, what about all the alien stuff? Right. Yeah. You know, what happened? Exactly. So, Are there aliens in the hangars? Maybe. I don't know. I've never been there. So apparently all this stuff about Area 51 and aliens, it mainly came from this one guy. Oh. Okay. And I didn't know I didn't know this about this at all. Named Robert Laser and Laser. L-A-Z-A-R. And uh at, at, at just as a side note before I get into the Robert Laser thing, the whole story with the supposed crash with the UFO in 1947 and that being tied to Area 51, you know, you've heard of that whole yes. thing, right? So, makes no, absolutely no sense. Right. Because Area 51 wasn't set up until 1955. 1955. Almost 10 years oh. later. So, like, I'm not saying that there wasn't a UFO that crashed in 94. Perhaps there was a UFO that crashed in 1947. I don't know. But it certainly had nothing to do with Area 51 at the time, <laughs> because it did not exist for a long time after. Anyway, just wanted to... I never to, thought about that. Just wanted to get that out there. That didn't... I, things I realized while I was doing my research. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so this guy, Robert Laser. Okay, so he came out with this bombshell, right? He did this interview with a TV station, KLAS in Las Vegas. That was good. Thank you very much. In uh, November of 1989, and he said that he claimed that he had been a physicist at a top-secret project at Papoose Lake, which is very near Groom Lake. It's sort of part of the same, you know, general area of Area 51. And he said he only worked there a very short time. It, it came out eventually that about 49 hours in total over the course of about a week. Okay. So just about a normal week's worth of working. And he claimed that when he worked there... He saw and worked on a strange disc-shaped craft that appeared to be extraterrestrial Ooh, in origin. I believe it. A bona fide UFO. Now, according to Tom Manhood at Dreamland Resort, though, unfortunately... It's a whole, it, it's bullshit. It's been completely debunked. <laughs> Not, no truth to it whatsoever. So let's get into it a little bit. Laser claimed that he worked at a site called S4, which does actually seem to exist, according to some people. It's a secret site that is a part of Area 51. So that part of it does seem to be true. 
because it is so secret, though, it's really kind of hard to determine the truth or veracity of what this guy's saying, right? Because most people don't really know. But there are some holes. There are some inconsistencies. So this is where it kind of gets debunked, right? Um, there's also some holes in Laser's description of his past, which kind of basically bring his sort of, you know, trustworthiness into question, let's say, right? Yeah. I don't mean to malign him, but some things. He claimed that all sort of all trace of him had essentially been erased because he was exposing this secret thing, right? And specifically, he said that he no longer had access to his birth certificate. And that when he tried to get it from the hospital where he had been born, that they had no record of it whatsoever. And therefore, it did not exist. <laughs> and that's... Now, this doesn't really make that much sense. Because when you look into it, the hospital probably wouldn't have had it. They would have been like the third copy. And they just don't retain their records as well as the county, which also would have had it, or the state which also would have had it in two separate locations. And it also came out that in a court proceeding in the early 90s, so several years later, that the birth certificate was also produced as part of those proceedings. I think he was like in bankruptcy court or something. So it's not as if it didn't exist or the government didn't have access to it because clearly they did. It was in a court proceeding. So this whole thing about... His birth certificate having been erased, not true. It just it it was a fabricated story, and apparently even he has kind of like walked back uh, what he said previously. So uh, not not a great look. Yikes. So Laser also claimed that he was hired to replace a scientist who died in an explosion, in a huge explosion, on the scale of a nuclear explosion, involving the power source for this. Supposed UFO. And only one person died? No, he's saying that several people died. Oh. But that he specifically was hired to replace this one specific scientist. Now, this also doesn't really pan out in terms of making sense. Now, there were obviously nuclear tests that happened in this area, right? We talked about that earlier. So it's, it's not as if there weren't huge explosions. It's not as if there weren't explosions on the site that killed people because uh, that probably has also happened. There certainly were a lot of crashes that killed people. We know about that. So then what do you say to the family when that happens? Who knows? It depends on how classified what they were working on was, I guess. But but anyway, in terms of what he purported, it, it didn't work out because the data from the Department of Defense and what is absolutely dispositive Info from the United States Geological Survey shows no activity that would indicate a large-scale explosion Mm. when he said that it happened. And the USGS monitors continuously for um, not only the signs of an earthquake, right, but also the signs of nuclear test sites all around the world. They can detect nuclear testing that's happening in North Korea, from oh, the so United you States. can't just, like, get away with it? I yeah, it's, see. It's, it's not as if they wouldn't know if a 100-kiloton blast had gone off somewhere in Nevada between May and August of, ni- of 19, uh, 
88, I think he said it was, they, they would know. They would have the records. There would be no way of faking that. So it just didn't happen. So we know that that part of his story is completely debunked. So Laser also claimed, sorry, I'm saying claimed like a billion times, um, that, <laughs> but it's, it, it's probably not true, so I feel like I have to say claimed, that he had discovered this mysterious substance which was fueling the discs called element 115. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a chemist. I don't know too much about Is chemistry. Is this a cartoon? <laughs> but apparently this element 115 thing, I guess it's it's like a theoretical element, which I suppose, like, I think like what they were saying is like it could exist, right? But he didn't, it didn't seem real. Like what he was talking about didn't seem real. Um First of all, it seemed implausible because he claimed to have made this, like, breakthrough discovery that all these scientists had been trying to make for years when he had just started working there. Like I I said, he worked there for 49 hours total. I feel like you have to provide proof of that kind of thing. And I'm guessing he didn't have the receipts. I I do not believe so. (laughs) Um, So it's also the kind of thing, apparently, according to whatever I was reading, that other scientists would already have made this discovery if it were there to make. Like, that it's not, like, that complicated, that it would have been this, like, huge breakthrough discovery. But it's also apparently unlikely because apparently if Element 115 were to exist, it would be highly unstable and probably radioactive. Okay, so... It is, like, a plausible idea? Yes, it's a theoretically plausible idea that this element could exist, that it could be synthesized, you know, or exist somewhere in nature, but just not. It didn't seem to really, like, line up with what he was describing it as, right? There were also some issues with Laser's supposed academic credentials. So... Again, yeah. bringing into that question his, like, right. his, th- not surprising at this like, point, right? <laughs> exactly. So it was confirmed by a fairly well-known physicist, Stanton Friedman, that Laser attended a junior college in California. But there is no verification that he uh, attended, matriculated at two other institutions of higher learning at which he claimed to have matriculated, uh, namely Caltech and MIT. I can't believe all of this, like, alien stuff came from one dude. (laughs) That's apparently what it was. I don't know. So the whole alien thing, you know, it's pretty much out the window, right? Um, Unfortunately. I would love for it to be aliens. Honestly, I I love the idea of aliens. I want us to make contact. I'll, I'll meet them. I'll take them to our leader, not Trump. Who, okay, who would you pick as a world I, leader? Angela Merkel, I guess. She's not going to be there that much longer, though, so they better come quick. I'd pick Betty White. <laughs> Ellen. I'll take them to Ellen. Ellen. I'll take them to Ellen. Definitely. <laughs> Ellen. So, you know, it is, though, definitely a secret government site, and there are definitely secret government goings-on at this site, mainly what people term as black projects. Uh, because we cannot see into them, right? This was the U-2 spy plane of its, at its time. But these also include some other spy planes, uh, namely the F-121 Sentinel, the A-11 Astra, the HGV or hypersonic glide vehicle, which 
supposedly would be launched at 68,000 feet and have a range of 5,000 miles. Wait, what do you mean it would be... Uh, what? So this hypersonic glide vehicle... They would launch it in the air? Yeah, it's it's this, like, the- theoretical spy, you know, unmanned vehicle where it's taken up by a, um, like, B-56, I think, up to 68,000 feet on on the bottom of the other plane, right? And then it's launched off of that other plane. And then it, it can... It has actually a radius of 5,000 miles, 5,000 miles is, like, twice the length of the United States, you know, so it's pretty cool. There's some pretty cool stuff going on, (laughs) as we talked about already. And the very sleek, you know, sort of design of these craft, right, which was meant, of course, to defy radar and so forth, um, may also have contributed to the rumors of the flying saucers, because these things kind of look like flying saucers. there's a lot in Nevada. There's a lot of, like... People are always talking about weird shit going on. Exactly, exactly. And and, and this may very well be why, uh, or at least part of the reason why. So as such, you know, these craft may be responsible for a lot of these mass sightings and the, you know, pilot sightings as well of the UFOs, um, I think. So some of the early black projects, as I mentioned earlier, have now actually been declassified since they happened, you know, back in the 50s. Um, but... There are many that we probably will never know about. We'll never find out about. Um, you know, who knows what they might be <laughs> might be doing there right now. And these might include, according to a U two, um, you know, the U two spy plane historian uh, named Chris Pockock, uh, that quote they may include classified aircraft, more exotic forms of radio communication, directed energy weapons, and lasers. Laser. Pretty cool. So uh, Peter W. Merlin at the Dreamland Resort website, he's kind of like the main guy, I think, behind it, also points out how the test pilots, um, and this I hadn't thought about this, but it was, it was kind of interesting, the, you know, the, the men and women who test these planes have or have not gotten recognition right based on mm. the classified status of those flights. Right, So right. things that have gotten declassified, the, the the pilots have gotten recognition, right? Now they can talk about it. But if they were testing these super classified flight, you know, um, uh, planes that no one can talk about, then they get no recognition. It's kind of a little bit tragic in a way, I think. Um, the initiation... Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. So what also is like, pretty surprising, I think, that I I mentioned at the outset, is that the existence of Area 51 itself has never actually been classified. It's never been a secret that Area 51 exists, you know, or basically what it is. But I feel like there's kind of a misconception out there that, like, oh, the government doesn't... I even read it in in one of the articles I read, actually, that I I didn't use as a source because it wasn't good. They claimed that, like, oh, it's on. It's not on any maps. The government doesn't acknowledge it. That's, That's not, true. not true. That's not true. It, even, it, I mean, even, like, I don't know. Even I know that. Yeah, it, it's on many maps. And it always has been since the very beginning. It's on government maps. It's on private maps. There, there are satellite photos of it. Like, the government acknowledges that it exists. So just <laughs> to kind of, like, clear that. Clear that up if anyone had that misconception. Not you. I understand. You didn't. But it's okay. <laughs> Okay, so even though, you know, the mystery lies more in the classified military aims of 
the U.S. than in alien technology. I know it's unfortunate. Um, the extraterrestrial theories, of course, have not gone away. In fact, they have flourished. Um, Why? Well, partly because I think people just love the idea of aliens. And I think mainly because the surrounding area has really played this up for tourist purposes. Oh, of course. Yes, there are... Oh my oh, god, yes. that makes oh, so yes. oh, yes, much yes, yes, yes. sense. Yes. There, there are there are oh, vested, <laughs> vested interests in in keeping this whole notion of oh wow. So you know, j- just to kind of uh, concretize <laughs> this, right? The the state of Nevada <laughs> named. I'm sorry, that's hilarious. And, and 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 this is the state of Nevada. So the the the, the legislature of Nevada decided that they were going to rename Route 375 as the Extraterrestrial Highway. Oh, get out! In 1996, (laughs) specifically to bring in tourists. And there also, and this was the most astounding thing that I read of of the whole thing, that there's apparently an alien themed brothel, because, you know, there are legal brothels in Nevada, called the mm. Alien Cat House. I, uh, alien Cat House. That's cringy. You can go You'd to love an it. Alien th- Cat House. Oh, well, that's not that kind of cats. <laughs> um, yeah, j- just to be clear, I don't frequent cat house. <laughs> just to be clear. Just to be clear. That's, that's an It's Always Sunny reference. Um, you'll get it if you get it. If while, you get it, you get it. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, it's fine. So while it seems highly unlikely, um, yeah, I think ultimately we have to say we can't rule out that Area 51 might, you know, be housing some alien technology, maybe some alien corpses, perhaps. <laughs> you know, who knows? Um, <laughs> but it seems pretty unlikely. So probably. So what is certain, though, is that the site will continue, of course, to be a source of much mystery to come because people love a good mystery, especially when it's the government keeping shit from you. Okay, so my sources were dreamlandresort.com, of course. Uh, Again, tons of good information on there. Um, It's actually very... I mean, it looks like it's from, like, 1993, but... It, it, it is a, a sort of exhaustive website. And you can tell that they try to make it as legitimate as possible. Because you know people are already like, oh, Area 51, what's, who's this kook? But, you know, they, they really, like, try to, like, no, just, like, stick to the facts, you know? It's, it's good. It's a good website. Wikipedia, of course, uh, read just a little bit of the Area 51 page. Uh, Matt Blitz at Popular Mechanics. And... Um, yeah, that was it, actually. Area 51. Wow, that was a lot. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> it was it was very different than I thought it was going to be. Okay, now you go. I'm ready. Okay. <clears throat> good. So I've got a good one. Are you one. ready? Yes, thank you. He just took off his glasses, everybody. It's time. It's, that means it's my turn. <laughs> okay. So this was amazing to me uh-huh. and very sad. This is the 1999 Russian apartment bombings. This right. is a crazy, crazy story. So in September, basically in September of 1999, there were a series of terrorist attacks that hit four apartment blocks in the Russian cities of Moscow. Boynekusk. What? You said it beautifully. Which one? That one. Boynekusk. 
Boynaksk. Boynaksk. I'm assuming Boynaksk. And Volgodonsk. Wait, which one? Volgodonsk. 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 Thank right. you. Probably near the Volga, I would imagine. Boynaksk and Volgodonsk. I meant to like Volgodonsk. Go on YouTube and have it like pronounce it for me, but I forgot. That's what it would say. Volgodonsk. Volgodonsk. So, a total of 293 people were killed and oh over, God. yeah, big numbers, and over 1,000 people were injured. It's said that this is what brought Putin to power. Hmm. Let's talk. I've so, heard a different story as to what brought him to power, but sure. Really? This is a very interesting thing. Okay. Um, so, the first attack was on September 4th in 1999. So, in the Russian city of Boynaksk, under the border... Or uh, near the border of uh, Chechnya, mm-hmm. a car bomb detonates outside of a five-story apartment building at 9.45 p.m. The apartment housed Russian soldiers and their families and ended up killing 64 people. The bomb reduced the five-story apartment to rubble <gasps> and ashes. All the bombs did. Oh, my they God. They totally demolished the entire buildings. Um, another bomb was found by local residents And it was concealed in a truck placed near the hospital where the (gasps) wounded were taken. It was set off to go at 11.50. It was set off. It was set to go off at 11.53. But fortunately, it was found by police and it was diffused. Wow. Yeah. And that one contained almost 6,000 pounds of explosives. Oh, my God. Yeah. So this could have been way worse. It could have been so much worse. Oh, my God. And that's not the only... One they found and prevented. Um, that happens a surprising amount, actually, with would-be bombers. That yeah. the bombs either don't work, or somebody finds them, or like what, whatever. I mean, thankfully, you know, yeah. it's just like. And that reminds me of Om Shinrikyo mm-hmm. and his whole plan. And my right. favorite episodes of Last Podcast on the Left. Those are my favorite ones. The Om Shinrikyo episodes. Yeah, because it is very interesting. Also, I love when. Uh, Henry Zabrowski <laughs> does a horrible Chinese oh, accent. Japanese, it's terrible. Yeah. Japanese. It's terrible, but I love it. it. <laughs> it's like, I should be so offended, but I'm not. I don't know. It's interesting. Okay. <laughs> it's a, Henry's just like one of those people who can do whatever he wants for some reason. Yeah. Like, Henry Zabrowski could never be offensive. <laughs> it's funny. It just wouldn't make sense. Um, then, okay. Sombering down. Okay. The next bombing was... Uh, Five days later, September 9th, um, in a working class neighborhood on the southeast side of Moscow, shortly after midnight, an 881 pound bomb explodes on the ground floor of a nine story apartment building. So this one was inside. It killed 94 people um, as they slept. The result was the same. Like I said, the building came crashing down and also damaged surrounding buildings as well. At this point, Russian officials were already blaming the attack on Chechen terrorists and, in some cases, even arresting anyone who looked Chechen. Right. They were not screwing around. Right. Residents said that they saw four men speeding away in a car a few minutes after the explosion, but these people were never found. They were never caught. Um, Yeah, this seems like the uh, proverbial some Puerto Rican guy. From, oh my from god. The, uh, from the South Park episode, right? Oh my <laughs> like, god. Yeah, it was uh it was four Chechen guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they like they were definitely Chechen. And like many real life 
cases of people saying, oh, yeah, it was uh, some black guy. Right, exactly. You know, bullshit like I that. I mean, not to say that, like, no one from Chechnya has ever done anything wrong. Like, no, that's not the Oh, case. we're going to talk about some, some right. of that. It's, it's not like there isn't, like, no truth to, like, the whole Chechen terrorist thing. Yeah. But it also seems like there are instances, at least that I've heard of, in which it's pinned on some Chechen people because that's, like, a convenient storyline. Yeah. So, anyway, I'm sure you'll get into it. Four days later, September 13th, at 5 a.m., a bomb explodes in the basement of an apartment building known as 63 Kashirskoye Highway in southern Moscow. So the building's totally demolished, completely destroyed. This is the deadliest blast that killed 124 people. Oh, my God. So one of... I read a great article um, called None Dare Call It a Conspiracy from uh, GQ, and it was written by Scott Anderson. And uh, he, on the ninth anniversary, he went to this apartment building and he went there and he interviewed an older man. And this is a quote uh, from him. It's an older man who uh, like was there at the at the shrine and he was kind of watching him because he like like kept trying to walk away, but he couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um and it turns out his daughter, his son-in-law, and his grandson lived at the apartment <sighs> building, and oh. they all died. Quote, I lived very close to here, and I was awoken by the sound. I came rushing over, and nothing, nothing. They pulled a young boy and his dog out. That was all. Everyone else was already dead. End quote. Oh, my God. Later that day, one of the speaker's staff brings a note sent by a tipster to the chairman of the lower house of the Russian parliament named Gennady Seleznov. The note says that an apartment had blown up in Volgodonsk. This was three days before the apartment actually blew up in Volgodonsk, killing 17 people. Seleznov later declined to comment about the incident. Hmm. So, so he didn't, like, alert anyone when they told him. No, he, like, read a note out loud and was like, I got a note. I got a note from... Uh, what what a one of like my staff members and he reads it out loud and, and says then three days later it, it happens. Hmm, that is suspicious. Just like the note given to the chairman of the parliament said, it was an eight story building, um, and it was blown up by a truck bomb a little bit before six a.m. So the incident that was prevented, the Ryazan incident, September twenty second. Um, so this is about four, five, six, six days later. A, a resident of an apartment building in Ryazan noticed two suspicious men carrying sacks down into the basement. Because of the recent attacks, he's like, yo, that's weird. Mm -hmm. And he calls the police. But by the time the police arrived, the men in their, in their car was, was gone. But they investigated and they searched the basement and they found three sacks of white powder, each weighing 110 pounds. A timer and a detonator were also found. And those were set off to go or set to go off at 5.30 a.m. The timer and the detonator were disconnected successfully, and the powder was tested and found to be RDX, a, a military explosive that was also used in the previous bombings. Um, RDX is produced in only one factory in Russia, in the city of Perm. Okay. So you can't just get that shit anywhere. So how did they get it good question because i would imagine that that sort of thing is probably controlled by the russian military yep i'm starting to connect the dots here yep <laughs> yep 
later that <laughs> <G-R-U>. night. <laughs> it might be the GRU. Yeah. Uh, allegedly, allegedly. The building is evacuated and 1,200 officers are sent to patrol the city and search for potential the potential terrorists that were seen. And they had only been seen like a few hours before. Mm-hmm. Later that night, a phone operator in Ryazan tapped into a conversation between two men talking about how it was impossible to get out of town without being caught and how they should split up and make their own ways out of town. The operator calls the police, and the calls traced back to the FSB office in Moscow. Oh my God! And the FSB, for anyone the who doesn't know, the calls coming from inside the house. It's the Federal Security Federation of right. Russia. Some right. horror movie shit. <laughs> Essentially, the Domestic Security Service, of, right? Or the Domestic Intelligence Service, or whatever. The, right. Their version of the FBI, although yes. not like the FBI. <laughs> yes. In a lot of ways. So. This incident, when is first, it's first they're like, "Yo, this is a real threat." Until the ones who planted the bombs were identified as FSB agents, then the story changed. Half an hour later, or half an hour after Vladimir Rushilo, the minister of the interior, praises the people of Ryazan for I'm butchering all these names. I'm so sorry for having averted a terrorist attack. He was like praising everybody for having averted a terrorist attack. The FSB's director, Nikolai Petrushev, appears on national television to announce that this was actually just an exercise to test the public's response and that the three sacks actually had sugar in it. But he doesn't explain why it was then necessary to send the sacks of sugar for analysis to the FSB lab in Moscow. Hmm. And after this, the apartment bombings stop. So the aftermath. To this day, no one knows for sure who is behind these bombings. Right. It's it's speculative. It's pretty obvious. But there are, like, other groups that have taken credit for this. Okay. Even though it's doubtful. Which doesn't always mean that they were involved. Exactly. Like Terrorist groups will take credit for things that they did not do to like, try to prop themselves up. Like, that is definitely something yeah, that's happened. At one point... Um, some you were saying there was like a group in Dagestan. Yes, will we will we will get to that. Oh, okay. But um, like an anonymous person called like a news agency, and he was like the blasts in Moscow and Boy- Boynaksk were quote our response to the bombings of civilians in the villages of Chechnya and Dagestan. So these bombings led to the Second Chechen War. Right. And these bombings, along with the Dagestan War, led Mm -hmm. to the Second Chechen War. Which is, you have to wonder, is that what they were meant to do? Exactly. That's also one of the remaining questions we have here. Right. So, the Russian government blamed Chechen militants... Mm-hmm. Militants? Yeah. Militants. I always want to say like mili- militants, even though it's no, like militia. Mi- militants. Militants. But they, as well as the president at the time, Aslan Moskadov, denied responsibility. They never said anything. Um, immediately after the bombings, the Russian public, they highly doubted what their government was telling them. They were like, no, everyone knows that it's most likely this was set up. Um, but it's something that could never be proven. Mm-hmm. So... Many journalists who have done independent investi- investigations and spoken out have disappeared. They've been silenced. They've died mysterious deaths right. or they've been murdered. Right. 
if, one yeah, of them. If, if it's if if you don't know the the Putin regime kills journalists and yes, that's fairly. I mean, allegedly, but it's it's like fairly well known that that's like a you know very common tactic of theirs. One of them being Alexander Litvinenko, right? One of uh, go back. We and talked about to him. him. Yeah, about the polonium tea. Yes. So he. Uh, just a quick summary. He was a former KGB officer that waged a pretty tough media campaign against the Putin regime. So he like accused the regime of all types of corruption and crimes, right. most and specifically these bombings. Essentially, Litvinenko was like the one good cop in a sea of bad cops. Yeah. That's yeah. what it seems like. I mean, obviously that's oversimplifying it, but that was the basic sense that I got hey, by looking into it. He was given a hit list, remember? Given a hit list? Yeah, he was given like kill orders and then he went public about it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So he was then, of course, slipped radioactive polonium, right. which finally killed him 23 days later. Um so Litvinenko was not the only investigating, only person like investigating these bombings. He had enlisted another ex-KGB agent and a former criminal investigator named Mikhail Trepashkin. So what's funny about these two is that they have a weird personal history because uh, back in the 90s, one allegedly had been dispatched to assassinate the other. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So now they're, and then they... You know, years later. About, I feel like that's a good like buddy movie. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. So what would be what would be good if it if it was like if it was like Michael Caine and like George Clooney. Too old. No, that's the thing. You know, they they were like they were sent to kill each other years earlier, but now they're. Oh friends. right, right, right. You know? I mean, you know, could could be younger people too. Maybe it's uh, T- Taron Egerton and. Um, mm. And uh, who who would be the uh, the other one? Uh, maybe um, who would be like a young Michael Caine? Taron Egerton, Egerton could definitely be a young Mike, like George Clooney. I feel um, like. Oh wait, I was just trying to think. Uh, what's his name? Um, the, he's like a funny name. Tall, like the tall guy, played Sherlock. Oh, uh, uh. Poople Snoo Cucumber Batch? Right, right, right. Benedict Cumberbatch? Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> would, I feel like he would be the other one. Don't you feel like he could be a spy? He yeah. could play a spy. Yeah, I mean, he does Sherlock so, so well. Right. So Trepashkin was one of two men mentioned when Litvinenko went public about these kill orders that he was given. He's like, I didn't I didn't write down the other guy's name, but he said Mikhail Trepashkin was, was like on my list. Mm-hmm. Um so eventually, Mikhail was sentenced to four years in prison in 2004 for revealing state secrets. He's eventually released on early parole, but then he's rearrested in September 2005 and sentenced to another two years. But he's currently out. So, and one of the things that the article talked about, the GQ article, he actually interviewed Mikhail Trepashkin. Hmm. Um, and Mikhail talked about, like, uh, how how crazy all of it was and i've got a i've got a quote uh a quote from him that i'll I'll mention later so in march of 2000 russian journalist pavel voloshin publishes an article in the novaya gazeta newspaper revealing an exclusive interview with a soldier named alexei pinyaev so private pinyaev's military unit had been posted to ryazan in the fall of 1999 he was like one of the the guards that 
guarded a an arms depot that was located on the military base. So one day, him and a, him and a com- comrade, Curious, looked inside a warehouse, and instead of finding weapons, they found 50 kilogram sacks, 50 kilograms, about 110 pounds, marked sugar. They used them for their tea, but t- something, but it tasted so bad that out of fear for their health, they had a specialist test it to make sure that they hadn't been poisoned. And the test results revealed the substance was RDX. Of course. Isn't that nuts? Um, so that's where the whole sugar thing comes in too, right? Yeah. They're like, oh, guys, it's, sh- it's sugar. It's sugar. So in March of 2001, uh, the Supreme Court of Dagestan sentences six men for the September 4th uh, Boynaksk bombing, the very first one. Hmm. So they were sentenced in, in Dagestan, not in Russia. Dagestan is in Russia. Oh, Dagestan's right, right, a republic right. of Russia. Right, 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 right. And I forgot about that. Boynaksk is a city within it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So the defense lawyers for the accused say that their clients were beaten into making their confessions. Uh, yeah, I remember, because I, I sort of remember this whole thing. I've read about it before a little yes. bit. And I sort of remember that, that, yeah, it was seemed clear that it was forced confessions. The, subs- the subsequent trials of others arrested are closed to the public. So according to the Russian state prosecutor's office, all apartment bombings were executed under command of Akimez Gochiyayev and planned by Ibn al-Khattab and Abu Omar al-Saif, Arab militants fighting in Chechnya on the side of the Chechen insurgents. Now, this is where the war comes in. Ibn al-Khattab was one of the leaders of the IIPB, the Islamic International Peacekeeping Brigade, which invaded the Russian Republic of Dagestan, beginning the Dagestan War. And like I mentioned earlier, the Dagestan War, along with these apartment bombings, are what led to the Second Chechen War. Right, right. Now, the questions that remain, who did the dirty work? Who got in the car? Who planted the bombs? Were the Chechens behind the bombing? And if so, what was the motive? Especially after winning their secessionist war and gaining autonomy in 1997, one of the questions that remains is, what do they have to fight for? Right. Why would they have done this? Exactly. So was the Russian government behind the bombings? If so, what was their motive? Was it used to boost Putin's chance of winning the presidency? Did they allow him to take charge of a tragedy in order to rise to power? So a quote to end, we will a quote from Mikhail Trapashkin, quote, it just seemed incredible. That was my first thought. The country is in an uproar. Vigilantes are stopping strangers on the streets. There are police roadblocks everywhere. So how is it possible that these bombers are moving about so freely that they have all this time to set up and carry out these sophisticated bombings? It seemed impossible, end quote. I agree. I mean, it, 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 the official line seems very implausible. Like, it's almost beyond belief. It's very, very sketchy. It's a very weird story. And we'll never know the full answers. But it is also just, like, very disturbing and and also sort of unbelievable to think that any government would do that. Yeah. I mean, even... 293 people were killed. Even the proto-Putin regime, like, you know, would they really have done that as a false flag operation to foment... You know this this conflict with Chechnya is a part of the information war against Russia. 
Who knows? Is yeah? Is it, is it like a double false flag operation <laughs> where someone's like Putin says trying trying to frame the Russian government of framing the Chechens? That's and, what he says. That's what he says. Yeah, well, he says it's he no. Says this is all part of the information war against Russia. I mean. <sighs> You know, he, he said it. I mean, he was pretty, he was very strong. You know, he said it very strongly. So I think I believe him. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I confused myself with Donald Trump for a second. Oh, God. <laughs> so my sources, None Dare Call It a Conspiracy, was the title of the GQ article written by Scott Anderson. Uh, uh, the uh, the Canadian <laughs> broadcast company had a really nice timeline of events uh-huh. set out that okay. I uh, utilized and the Russian apartment bombings Wikipedia page. And I was also just going to say that it's it's interesting to think about this and like the timeline of recent Russian, you know, aggression, like the history of recent Russian aggressions. Right. You know, right. this this sort of to me fits in with like this whole pattern that's been happening over the course of the last 20 years or so. Right. Where you've had the second war in Chechnya, you've had the the incursions into you know South Ossetia and Georgia, um, and then of course more recently into Eastern Ukraine, the forced annexation of Crimea. Now you have this you know taking of the Ukrainian ships that were it seems perfectly legally going through you know the the Kerch Strait or whatever it is, and. Um, now Russia is saying, you know, this is ours and you can't go here, even though there's an agreement between them that says they can go there. What's going to come next? You know, I mean, it it seems like this cycle of Russian aggression isn't necessarily going to end, right? Um, I mean, right. You never know. And it's like we were talking about, too, like what is part of Russia? Like we were trying to look oh, it yeah, up. Oh, yeah, because like, I was like, okay, wait, does Russia have – like states or or provinces or what and they're like they're just called like subdivisions they're it's, not really it's like super complicated yeah yeah there's like federally administered cities like moscow and st petersburg and there's like these semi-autonomous republics and then there's right. like these huge like federally administered lands like out in the the east where like nobody fucking lives right it's all it's very, very complicated. Odd. Yeah. But this also this whole question, right, of like what is Russia? What is part of Russia? You know, is um Eastern Ukraine part of Russia? Is Crimea part of Russia? Um it, it, is Chechnya or Georgia or Moldova or like um they're an expansionist regime and that's to me what is really scary. You know, that they're like really a kind of expansionist regime that we haven't, like, dealt with for a long time. Yeah. But I think also understanding these types of incidents in recent Russian history, like, kind of clarifies things too, right? If they did do this, if the FSB or the GRU or the Russian state in some way was behind these apartment bombings, if that is what happened, then they certainly are capable of a land grab war oh in, in Ukraine. You know, I mean, it certainly seems like... Absolutely terrifying. You know, like they could try to restart the USSR, which is definitely, it seems like, what Putin wants to do. You know, he does back not think... Back in the think USSR. They, he thinks they should be back in the USSR. He did, he did not, from my understanding, agree with this whole, like, idea that Russia would, like, become modern and just, like, give up the cause after we're, after the, the, the fall of the Soviet Union. So, yeah, not great. Not, not totally, uh, not totally good. So, on that note. 
on that note. <laughs> I guess, now that I've finished my rant. Um, thanks uh, so much for listening, you guys. And, uh, you know, feel free to send whatever comments you, you'd like, you know, mysterymurderything at gmail.com. Like us or, on, on, I got... Instagram. Like us on, uh, no, you follow people huh? on Instagram. Oh, I do not know. Old man. Oh, yes. Stalk us on Instagram, you know. And um, we did have, we had a Facebook group, and then... It sort of atrophied. And then once I, I made, like, our that. Instagram page, like, more official, yeah. it, like, attached a Facebook page to it. So now we have, like, a whole new Facebook page. Right. So I guess... Go and give it out. a like. We'll have to, like, actually do stuff with that. I'll figure it out. Okay. You're you're the social media person of our little two-person two group here. Team Mystery. Team Mystery! Anyway, thank you for being part of Team Mystery. Um, yeah. So any, oh, uh, we should probably do some uh, weird... Weird shit, shit in, in the, the news. news! Weird shit in the news! Weird. Yo, we almost forgot. Especially oh since I've got something good, yo. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, you were saying earlier that's like, I don't want to tell you. Do you want to go first? You go first. <laughs> okay. I always want to go first. <laughs> Let me just pull it up here. Okay, so this one was pretty cool. And sorry, this is like one of those ones that like depends on a picture, so you should look it up. So it's from BBC News. Title is Why This Rainbow Swamp Has Got People Talking. Uh, it's mm. a story by Victoria Park. So this apparently is a sort of natural phenomenon that can occur where because of the natural oils and so forth that uh, are on the surface of these, uh, you know, bogs and lakes, you know, swamps, um, it can actually turn them rainbow. So it's like a rainbow on the surface of the swamp. It's really cool looking. Um, and apparently it happens every so often. Like this person said they, you know, are a, fr a frequent swamp walker and they've seen it about 10 times in 40 years. A so it happens, walker. but it's not you know, a swamp walker, not a monster, just a person. Um, it sounds like a monster, though. So it's fairly, you know, rare, but it has to, you know, have these very particular circumstances. The water has to be very still. No movement. <laughs> What? Perfectly still. And then you get a rainbow. So that was pretty cool. I liked What'd it. she say? <laughs> what are they selling? <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> I remember chocolate. Rest in peace. Oh, yeah. The creator of SpongeBob. Right. Okay. So mine. <laughs> Yo, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Um, the title is Aldi's Kevin the Carrot Toy Sparks Fights. Crowds, quote, worse than Black Friday. So Aldi has a giant stuffed version of their mascot named Kevin the Carrot. And I Who guess the fuck they knew Aldi had a mascot. I had no idea until and you I go there article. all the time. I go to Aldi all the time and I didn't know they had this mascot. And it is adorable. Kevin the Carrot is so cute. And so they have all these, like, smaller plush versions of him that they, okay. like, released for the holidays. Okay. And they also have, like, an enormous life-size one that's, not going to lie, a little creepy. But <laughs> Kevin was first featured in a holiday commercial for a grocery chain three years ago and was joined in 2017 by his love interest, Kate the Carrot. In 2018, the commercials added three of their vegetable children, Chantanay, 
Jasper, and suitably, Baby Carrot. So They're not all Baby Carrots? No. So there were people fighting over these things. People in <sighs> line. It's, it's truly, it's truly crazy. It uh, crashed the website from the influx of people desperate to bring the root vegetable home for Christmas. <laughs> oh my God. Absolutely insane. That is truly the dregs of society. I just. <laughs> Terrible. Oh my God. I didn't hear about anybody getting trampled on Black Friday this year. So I guess we're doing a little bit better yeah. as, a, as a society. Really crazy. Yeah. Yeah, when I went to the mall here in Blono, it looked like a regular mall. <laughs> yeah, but usually it's dead. Yeah, it's so sad. So dead. Eastland is so dead. Oh, my God. And then I went on Black Friday, and I was like, wow, it's like Chicago Ridge. <laughs> it's normal looking and busy. Well, they've been getting some some new stores. They know? have great stores, though. I don't know. Maybe it's going to die. I don't know. The, 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 the mall as a concept is... Is moribund, though. Yeah. I would say. You're right. That's my commentary. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thank you. Tell all your friends. Yes. Um, what's some other things that we should tell people to do? Um, give, give to charity. Give to Wikipedia. Was, give your three bucks to Wikipedia. It was, give, it was Giving Tuesday yesterday. Yes. Or today? Not anymore. No, not now anymore. Now it's Wednesday. It's officially Wednesday because we typically record this partly Wednesday. Why are Wednesday. we still recording? Recording. Recording. Oh, maybe I'll cut this part out. Okay, <laughs> bye. Bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.